I don't know if you know this, but when a priest gets ordained, one of the first things that the diocese asks that man to do is plan his funeral. It's kind of morbid. But I get it. Because by the time, God willing, we live a long life, by the time we die, there's not going to be a whole lot of family left for us. And so they want everything taken care of. So my whole funeral is planned already. And I picked for my reading from the Old Testament, my first reading, I picked the book of Joshua for obvious reasons, right? And I picked the specific reading as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Because that's what my whole life is about, right? Is serving God. But after the past couple of years, I've been, as I work my way through the Bible again and again, there's a passage that kind of sticks out to me that I think I might switch. And even though the great patriarch Joshua deserves that first reading, I might switch it with this passage from Sirach, chapter 2. I want to read it for you. It's about that long, so bear with me. The reason I want to read it is because I think it captures everything for this Sunday that I want to talk about. It says this. My child... When you come to serve the Lord, prepare yourself for trials. Be sincere of heart and steadfast. Do not be impetuous in time of adversity. Cling to him. Do not leave him, that you may prosper in your final days. Accept whatever happens to you. In periods of humiliation, be patient. You that fear the Lord, trust him, and your reward will not be lost. Consider the generations long past and see, has anyone trusted in the Lord and been disappointed? Has anyone called upon him and been ignored? For the Lord is compassionate and merciful, forgives sins, saves in times of trouble. But woe to you who are timid of heart and drooping hands to the sinner who walks a double path. Woe to the faint of heart, for they do not trust and have no shelter. Woe to you who have lost hope. What will you do on the day of the Lord's visitation? It's been on my mind a lot for a couple reasons. The first is the gospel. The transfiguration is an incredible event. And because it's an incredible event, sometimes we get lost in the actual event itself and forget what it's about. At least I do. When I think about the transfiguration, when I hear this gospel for this weekend, all I can think of is like, they're up on this mountain, and there's lightning, and thunder, and hail, and clouds, and booming voices, and everybody's like, ah, you know, and then Jesus, or God is like, this is my son, listen to him, and everybody's like, okay. This huge, majestic, divine event, which maybe it did happen. But there's also something we have to remember that happened just prior to what we heard today. And it's this. Jesus takes his disciples and says to them, The good times are about to end. And I am going to suffer and die. But I will also rise from the dead. And if that wasn't shock enough for the disciples, he then said to them, If you want to follow me, you have to pick up your cross every day. And follow me. That we should expect the cross in our lives. Thus when Peter, James, and John hear the voice of the Father that says, This is my son, listen to him. God the Father is at least in part talking about what he just said. 
Suffering will come. Trials will come. But don't worry. I'm with you. Don't get discouraged. Don't think I've abandoned you. Don't lose hope. And why does it have to be this way? Why this struggle all the time? Because I meet people that they're like, you know, my, my mom died. And because of that, God doesn't love me. You know, part of me, yes, I feel the pain of somebody dying. But the other part of me is like, what did you expect? That your mom, your grandma, your gra- that they were going to defy death? It's part of life. At the center of our faith stands an enormous crucifix to remind us that it is going to come into our lives, but he is with us in it. Why does it have to be this way? The only thing I can think of, I prayed about this a lot, and it's simply this. We don't grow when we're comfortable. We don't grow when we're comfortable. In fact, the more comfortable we are, the more pathetic we become. And if you don't believe me, look at our nation. We're the most comfortable nation on the planet, and we are literally the most pathetic nation on the planet right now. We have everything at our fingertips. I just got a new phone, because it was my time to get upgraded, and they sent me all of this stuff, and like I opened it up, and I got my phone, and then, you guys, I got so much free stuff. I got free Hulu, free ESPN+, free Disney+, free Audible, free Amazon, and I'm like, subscriptions, you know? And all of a sudden, I'm like, what am I doing? I don't need any of this. It's everywhere. Everything is everywhere. We have too much. And the more comfortable we are, the more complacent we are. And the more complacent we are, the more pathetic we become. And this, I believe, is why God left pain and suffering and the struggle. For what? To save us. From who? Ourselves. So don't run from your crosses. Embrace them. He's there. And yet we, like Peter, we want comfort and ease. You know, Peter was all about the easy life. And we can tell that because of the transfiguration, right? When the transfiguration happens, Peter's like, yeah, (laughs) this is awesome. I mean, imagine being there. You know, he's probably like, this is why I left the fishing business. I want to stay here. Jesus, this is what I signed up for. Hey, let's build tents. Let's stay here. And Jesus says no. He redirects Peter to Jerusalem. Because this life, it's not easy. It's not meant to be easy. And we're not meant for easy. Nor are we meant for comfort. This leads me to my second point. This last Sunday, I watched the movie Frozen for the first time. Don't judge me. I can feel the judgment all over the church right now. I watched it for a specific reason. And the reason was this. I go over to a lot of people's homes for suppers and whatnot. And recently, I have just noticed this infatuation with young girls... And Elsa. Now, for those of you on the odd chance that you've never seen this movie, 
right? Because it was, it was kind of like Titanic, like everybody's seen it. And I'm just going to give you a quick synopsis. Elsa is this princess. She has this power to freeze things, hence the name of the movie Frozen, right? And she, she, she's not a witch. She's not bad. She just inherited this magical power because that's what Disney does. They just give people magical powers. And, but when she gets afraid, she can't control it. So fast forward, she runs away from the kingdom because she's afraid she's going to hurt somebody. She lives in this ice castle up in the mountains, and her sister Anna goes to rescue her and bring her back to be the queen and rule. She gets up there, and as they're arguing, Elsa gets so frustrated that she shoots this magical ray of frozenness into Anna's heart. And then Anna starts getting cold. And then the trolls, for some reason, <laughs> the, the whole story is just, anyway, so they, they go to the trolls and the troll says, oh no, she's going to freeze to death unless she experiences true love, an act of true love. So, Anna thinks, she, she's been hanging out with this big dumb Norwegian named Kristoff. And she gets in her head that she must have to kiss Kristoff to experience an act of true love. So, fast forward all the way to the end. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it and you want to, plug your ears, because I'm gonna tell you the ending. So Elsa is about to die. She's, she's gonna, by this really bad guy. And Anna has to make the decision of kissing Kristoff and experiencing the true love or saving her sister. And she saves her sister. And as she gets in the way, because the sword's coming down to kill Elsa, and she gets in front of it, and she turns into ice. And I'm like, no! You know, I'm alone in my house, right? The total loser. I was so disappointed. And then she's frozen, you know, and the sword breaks over her iced up hand, and Elsa's saved. But then something really cool happens. And I wasn't ready for it, because... Disney's so crazy and liberal, I was not expecting them to actually get it right. But Elsa comes, or Anna comes back to life. Because the act of true love was not kissing Kristoff. It was giving her life for her sister. Why do I tell you this whole story? Because who are little girls infatuated with? Elsa! She's not the hero. All these little girls are running around with their little blue capes on trying to freeze stuff. And Anna is the hero. It's because we don't want the cross. We want magic. We want ease. We want comfort. But we're not made for that. And deep down, I think we know it. And life is not easy. I don't care what the world says. It can tell you a thousand times that life is easy. It can give you all the stuff and put it at your fingertips. Life is not easy. It's hard. And the older I get, and I still consider myself young at 42, but the older I get, it gets harder and harder. 
The world tries us to get to escape from it. But that's not how it was for any of the people in our readings. Look at Abraham. You think his life was easy? We call him our father in faith for a reason. He did the craziest stuff. He was in the struggle. He persevered. He never left. And he trusted that God would provide. Second reading, St. Paul. How about St. Paul? St. Paul, yeah, sure, he had his great conversion, right? Where he got knocked off his horse and he saw God and all that. But after that, every single moment of his life was a struggle. He writes about it in Corinthians. You can read about it. And finally, Peter. Yeah, Peter's the prince of the apostles. But from the resurrection onward, all he did, all he did was evangelize and deal with the struggles of the churches in the early church, culminating in his death upside down on a crucifix for the one he loved. And yet when the struggle comes to you and I, when suffering comes to you and I, what do we do? We complain. God's trying to save us. He's trying to love us. He's trying to teach us that no matter what we go through, he's there. And he won't abandon us. We're not called to comfort. Don't fall for that lie. We're called to greatness in any great thing you must battle for, struggle for. And so don't look to Mount Tabor. That's the next life. Look to Jerusalem and go with the Lord. And suffer with the Lord. And be united with the Lord. So that on Easter morning, you will rise with the Lord.